And today we're going to focus on verses 31 through 35. Let's read them together. Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Some versions say your mother and brothers and sisters. But he answered them saying, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now, the context of, of this passage, of course, is the preceding where Jesus taught us about a house divided. And he said that a house divided against itself cannot stand. Jesus was being accused of casting out demons in, in by the power of Satan himself. And Jesus is saying, well, clearly that can't be the case because that would be foolish because then Satan would be divided against Satan. And a house divided cannot stand. But here, what we see is that Jesus' house or his family was divided. He was about his father's business, but they were attempting to divert him from his mission. Why? Either because they really did believe he was mad, which is possible, because in verse uh, 20, notice it says this of chapter 3, that the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, meaning his family and friends, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Um, so it's very possible that they thought Jesus had uh, a few uh, screws loose, as we say today. Um, but I think what was really happening here is uh, what we what I call misplaced affection. That is to say, they were trying to protect him from the crowds and particularly, probably protect Jesus from the Pharisees. Because here in, in this the preceding section, we're, we see this confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees and um, the hostility between, or should I say, the hostility of the Pharisees toward Jesus is really reaching a climax in his ministry because at this point, they had pretty much determined that the only way to deal with Jesus was to kill him. And so his family wants to protect him. Uh, but in fact, by seeking to protect him, they were working contrary to God's will for him. And so I believe it's really the latter, this misplaced affection, which is uh, what's going on here. And, and what I mean by misplaced affection is human affection, which was operating contrary to God's will. Because this idea really illuminates the passage we're looking at this morning, as we will see. But we, we also need to note further that when we look at the context of this passage, house divided being the context, we learn that Jesus is here enunciating a principle, a very important principle of unity in his own family. That is to say, the principle of doing God's will. Jesus' true kin are those who do God's will, and this obedience binds them together as a family. So first this morning, let's look at uh, what I mean by kinship to Jesus, or being in his family. 
To be kin to Jesus means two things. First, it means to be in the family of God or be in the family that Jesus is in, is in, which is what God's family, right? But it also means more than being in the family. It means, it means being like Christ or the word I uh, would use is having affinity to Jesus Christ. So we can have a relation to him by being in the family, but we can have a relationship with him. And those two things are actually different. Uh, In a a healthy family, the people not only have a blood relation, but they actually have a relationship. In a broken family, you can have a blood relation, but not have a relationship. So I know people that actually don't like to be around their own family. Although they have the relation, they don't have a relationship. I know others who love to be with their family because in addition to the blood relation, they actually have a relationship. They have an affinity toward one another. They enjoy one another. They like one another. They, they have similar, you know, families have similar traditions and similar languages and similar habits and, and they understand each other. And so they feel that in their family, they can be their most authentic self, if you will. So when we talk about kinship to Jesus, we really mean both of these things. Now, Jesus says that his kin are those who do the will of God. So let's clarify the relationship between obedience and kinship. Um, What Jesus is not saying is that entrance into... God's family is a matter of works or obedience. Jesus himself taught the contrary. I'll go to the book of John for a moment. We'll come back to Mark. In the book of John, Jesus taught that there is a way into the family of God, or the kingdom of God, he also calls it. And that way is not the way of works. Jesus says in John chapter 3, um, verse 3, most assuredly I say to him, excuse me, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because that which is flesh is flesh, but that which is spirit is spirit. So do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Look at John chapter 4 and verse, um, where do we want to start? Go to John 6 instead, sorry. In John 6, Jesus is saying he's the bread of life. Then um, great crowds were following him because he was feeding them. And he says in verse 26, uh, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. And they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And then Jesus goes on to elaborate on what it means uh, for him to be the true bread. And he says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I have said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. 
All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the ones who come to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me I will lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who has sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. John chapter 8, Jesus says in verse, um, let's start at verse 22. So the Jews said, well, will he kill himself because he says, where I go, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above, you are of the world, I am not of the world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. In chapter 11, Jesus is speaking with Martha after her brother had died. Speaking of the resurrection, his ability to raise Lazarus from the dead, really. Um, Jesus said to her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So we can look at many other texts in the gospel where Jesus teaches that um, uh, entrance into the kingdom of God or the family of God is predicated upon genuine faith. And this is the consistent teaching of both really the Old and the New Testament. Um, Ephesians 2.8.9 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, not of works. And we can look at many other texts of that nature. But uh, that's not the point of the passage. When Jesus talks about kinship, and he talks about obedience in relation to, to relationship to kinship, he's not telling us how to get into the family. Rather, he is speaking of the tokens or the evidence of our kinship with him. Obedience is not the means of justification, but it is the evidence of justification. Amen? The test of our relation to Jesus is not our creed, but our conduct. It is not our profession, but our practice. And Jesus taught this clearly in uh, numerous places. Go to Matthew 7 for a moment. In Matthew 7, Jesus says in verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them, not by their profession, but by their fruits. Verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Notice the contrast between saying and doing. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these things of mine and does them... 
I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, and it fell. And great was that fall. Paul refers to those in in Crete who uh, profess to know God, but in their works they deny Him. That is to say, there was no fruit, and thence there's really no root. So the, the, our obedience or doing God's will or fruit or works, whatever term you want to throw in there, these are not the means of entering into kinship with Jesus, but they are the marks or the evidence or the tokens of our relationship to him. Those who know him, obey him. McLaren, uh, Alexander McLaren, great commentator, says this. I wanted to read this, a brief passage. He says, um, We must carefully observe that these great words of our Lord are not intended to describe the means by which men become his kinsfolk, but the tokens that they are such. He is not saying, quote, If a man will, apart from me, do the will of God, then he will become my true kinsman. But he is saying, if you are my kinsman, you will do the will of God. And if you do it, you will show that you are related to myself. In other words, this relationship, in other words, he is not speaking about the means of originating this relationship, but about the signs of its reality. The signs of its reality. So then, my text does not in the slightest degree contradict or interfere with the great teaching that the one way by which we become Christ's brethren is by trusting in him. For the text and the doctrine that faith unites us to him takes up the process at a different stage. The one pointing to the means of origination, but the other the tokens of its reality. Faith is the root, obedience is the flower and the fruit. He that does the will of God does it not in order that he may become, but because he already is possessor of a blood relationship to Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, those are my brothers and sisters who do the will of God. They, their, their obedience to, to the will of God is the evidence or the tokens of this relationship with Jesus Christ. But even more than evidence, doing the will of God means also that we have affinity with Jesus Christ. Let me explain what I mean. When Jesus says that his brothers and sisters are those who do the will of God, he is referring to the likeness and the familiarity that characterizes a true family relationship. That is to say, um, when we when I use the word affinity, I mean both likeness to Jesus and closeness to Jesus. First, likeness. We need to understand that the necessity of obedience if we would be like Jesus. Why? Because Jesus himself obeys the Father. Tracking with me? Obeying the Father or doing the will of God is what Jesus does. It's what Jesus did on the earth, and it's what Jesus is still doing now. 
Um, all throughout his ministry, he made a point of saying, I'm doing what the Father's doing, right? He says, my food and my drink is to do the will of him that sent to me. In Hebrews, it quotes Psalms, which is really Jesus saying, I delight, I come, in the volume of the book that is written, written of me, I, I come, I delight to do thy will. Jesus' heart was always to do the will of the Father, and he always did the will of the Father. Jesus always obeyed the Father. That's what Jesus did, and that's what Jesus does now. He's still obedient to the Father. Jesus' passion... His food and his drink was and is still to do the Father's will. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Thus, he is one with the Father in purpose and in will. Therefore, if we uh, would be like Jesus, we too must be about the Father's business. We must be doing God's will. You see, Amos said, can two walk together unless they be agreed? The obvious answer is no. If Jesus is about doing the Father's will, and I'm about doing my own will, I'm not in agreement with Jesus. I can't walk together with someone when I'm disagreeing with them, right? Obedience to the Father was Jesus' yoke that he took upon himself willingly. And he invites us to take this yoke and to place it on ourselves. In Matthew 11, please turn there because I want you to see, uh, see this. In Matthew 11, in verse 25, Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke that Jesus wore was the yoke of obedience. He came to do the Father's will, and he always did the Father's will. That was his yoke. So he invites us to take his yoke upon him. He, now, now, when we think of this, we, we may think of, of coming to Jesus, then Jesus takes, his, takes a yoke and then places it on our neck. But that's not, that's not the image. The image is a yoke in which two oxen can be placed... And so Jesus has a yoke on him, and then we come and stand alongside of him, and the yoke that's on him is then put on us, and then we walk together. That's what it means to take his yoke upon us. It is the yoke of obedience to the Father. So, Jesus loved to do the Father's will, and to walk with him, we must also learn to do the Father's will. So this means that we are not only like him, but we must be close to him. If we're yoked with Jesus, then we're yoked together, right? We're, we're yoked closely with Jesus. And this is the other idea, the other aspect, excuse me, of what I mean by affinity to Christ. It means closeness to him. 
And the idea of closeness and likeness really go together. Because we can't be like Jesus unless we're close to Jesus. But we also can't be close to Jesus unless we're like Jesus. He is liked. To fellowship with Him is to walk in the light. In other words, to do the will of God. And if we would be like Jesus, we must like Jesus. That is, we must commune with Him, fellowship with Him, and walk with Him. But this is only possible by doing God's will. Why? Because that is what Jesus is doing. If we seek our own will, we are putting ourselves at odds with Him because He isn't about your will. He's about the Father's will. And this is why so many prayers go unanswered. is because we pray according to our will and, he, and God's not listening to those prayers. Jesus isn't doing your will. Jesus is doing the Father's will. And that's why he taught us, if you ask anything in my name, or as John taught us, if you ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But if you ask according to your will, there's no guarantee that he will hear us. Jesus isn't in the business of doing our will. He's in the business of doing the Father's will. And so if we would be close to Jesus, our wills must be aligned with His will, which is doing the Father's will. So this leads us to a question. The relationship between obedience and God's will. If, if obedience or, and or affinity to Jesus means doing God's will, the question is, how do we know God's will? Well, the answer is really fairly simple. We know God's will by His Word. Now when I say that, this includes also the notion not only of the barren Word, but rather the Word that is renewing the mind. Because as we're going to see in the next section of Mark, when Jesus talks about the soils, uh, you know, we all know that parable, right? Sower goes out and he sows the seed, some on stony ground, some on... Uh, Weed, weeds, some of you. Know. Well, of the of the four different kinds of ground, only one ground bears any fruit. But the word is the same. The seed is the same. So if the seed is the same, why why does one ground bear fruit and the other soil does not bear fruit? When the same word is preached, why does one person grow and the other person doesn't grow? Well, it's not the seed. It's not the word. It's the soil. You see. So Jesus tells us, beware how you hear. So when we talk about knowing God's will through the word, we all have access to the same word. Right? How is it that some seem to know God and know God's will and others don't? Well, it's not because they don't have the word. It's because the condition of the soul. So when we talk about knowing God's will, we know God's will through His Word. But we have to renew our minds, and as it says in Ephesians, literally the spirit of our minds, according to this Word. But we also need spiritual enlightenment. And so in Colossians 1, Paul prays uh, for spiritual that we would have spiritual knowledge. In Ephesians 1, he prays that our hearts would be enlightened to know the Father. And all throughout uh, the epistles, we see this, that our, our knowledge 
is a spiritual knowledge, and it requires spiritual enlightenment. Okay? So, we know God's will through His Word, but we must renew our minds, and we must be spiritually enlightened. Otherwise, the Word will be barren, because we won't be good soil. But let me make a further point, and I think this is really more at the heart of what Jesus is teaching us here. Obedience is not merely an end in itself. It is a means to a greater end, knowing Him. Knowing Him. Let me put it to you this way. We know God's will by hearing His word. But we know God himself by doing his word. Let me say it again because some of you aren't hearing. We know God's will by hearing his word. But we know God himself by doing his word. In other words, obedience itself is a path to knowledge. Because the will is an organ of enlightenment. Jesus said, he that wills to do God's will will know the doctrine or will know my teaching, whether it's true or not, or whether it's from the Father. our, Our lack of knowledge is not rooted in a, in a defect in our intellect. Our lack of spiritual knowledge is rooted in a defective will. It is the inclination of the heart not to submit to the Word of God, which causes us not to know what we know. This is why Jesus said, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it's that one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and listen, I will manifest myself to him. You can read the Bible, and you can know the Bible, you can memorize the Bible, and not know the author of the Bible. We know God's will by His Word, but we know God Himself by doing His Word. Spiritual knowledge, meaning experiential knowledge of Christ, requires moral conformity. We cannot like Jesus if we are not like Jesus. This is why obedience is so important. And, and unfortunately, it's, it's been so misunderstood that some branches of, of the church even teach that obedience is the condition of salvation. It is not. The condition of salvation is faith. But if you're going to be with Jesus, if you're going to know him, you can't know him if he, if he is foreign to you in terms of what he likes you don't like. This is really common sense when you think about it. People that are friends like similar things, right? So if you go, if a couple guys like football, hey, let's hang out Sunday and watch football. They have something they like and that brings them together. Their common interests, their common likes and dislikes is, is what uh, becomes their, their, their point of contact, if you will. Well, it's the same thing with Jesus. That's why Jesus, when he speaks of keeping his commandments, he speaks of loving him. 
If you like Jesus, then that means you like the things he likes. And what is Jesus like? He likes to do the Father's will. That's really what he's saying. He does God's will, and my brothers and sisters do God's will, because we like each other, and we have this in common. We know God's will, do we not? But I think what we need is to know the Lord himself. And we only know him. We only, as he himself said, he only promised his manifestation of himself to those who do his will. Or keep his commandments, he said. Because there's no other way. There's no other way. And it's not a rewards thing. It's that there's no way to fellowship with someone that you were at odds with. If our heart, if my heart likes evil, how can I fellowship with someone whose heart loves holiness? Right? Well, it doesn't work. We, we understand it as kind of common sense when it comes to, to people. That's what, what Paul is saying in Corinthians when he says, how can, you know, you're the temple of God. How can you uh, fellowship with idols and light and darkness? And he goes to this list of contrasts in 2 Corinthians 6. Well, it's like obvious. You can't, you light and darkness don't fellowship. Okay, well, that makes sense. But why doesn't it not make sense this way? It does. So when scripture talks about obedience and it talks about holiness, we think he's talking about something in, in, as an end in itself. As if something we have to do to please God. Now it does please God. But more importantly than that, than it pleasing God, is that our holiness and our obedience makes us such in our soul that we can fellowship with him more fully and more deeply. That we can know him the way we are called to know him. You see? When Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, these are my family, these are my brothers and sisters, he means these are the ones who have affinity to me. They're like me. They're close to me. They know me. And they know me because they're doing what I do. God's will. So let me conclude and say this. The context of our passage, as we saw earlier, was a house divided. And Jesus' own family was divided over him. They, they um, attempted to really stop him from doing the Father's will. And I believe, I believe they did it with good intentions. But they were misplaced intentioned. It's like when Peter rebuked Jesus... And Jesus then turned to rebuke Peter. He says, you mind the things of man, not the things of God. Peter wanted to spare Jesus. You could say Peter loved Jesus, but he loved him the wrong way. He loved him with a simple human affection. And so he wanted to spare him the suffering. Not understanding the ways of God. Right? If we would be Jesus' disciples... True family members with an affinity to him, we must not allow other relationships come between us and him. Because you notice Jesus here in Mark 3 stood against his family and his dearest relations. He stood against them to do God's will. 
course, Jesus taught us this in many places. Look at Matthew 10. Just one example. We could read many. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, verse 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. You know, we think of Jesus as the great uniter. And it's true. But he unites as he divides. He unites as he divides. And he unites those who have this fundamental principle in common of doing the will of God. He says in verse 35, For I have come, quoting the Old Testament, to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And if he loses his life for my sake, he will find it. To quote McLaren one more time. He says, we have to think here of Christ putting away, telling us to put away the lower claims in order more fully to yield to the higher. And of course, that's what Jesus did here. He put aside the claims of his family, his his own family. McLaren says it was because it would have been impossible for him to do the will of his father if he had yielded to the purposes of his brethren and his mother that he steeled his heart and made solemn his tone in refusing to go with them. And in like manner, all our earthly relationships may become means of obscuring to us the transcendent brightness and greatness of Jesus Christ as our Savior. And in like manner, as to him, these, his brethren, became stumbling blocks that he had decisively to put behind him. So in regard to us, a man's foes may be those of his own household. And not the least his foes, when they are most his idols, his comforts, and his sweetnesses. If our earthly loves and relationships obscure to us the face of Christ, if we find enough in them for our hearts and go not beyond them for our true love, if they make us negligent of duty, if they bind us to the present, if they make us careless of that loftier affection which alone can satisfy us, if they clog our steps in the divine life, then they are our foes. They need to be always subordinated and so subordinated that they are more precious when they are placed than when they are placed mistakenly foremost. They are better second than first. Amen. Amen? These other things and relationships are precious to us, but He is priceless. They are shadows, but He is the substance. They are brooks by the way. He is the boundless, bottomless ocean of delights and loves. Shall we not always subordinate and sometimes, if needful, sacrifice the less to the greater? Shall we not? Jesus chose you above his earthly family and his dearest friends. Now will you do the same for him?
Let's stand and pray.